Thanks for joining us here at the Light San Diego podcast. This sermon was recorded in Encinitas, California. For more information, please visit our website, lightsandiego.com. If you've uh, been able to join us the last few weeks, you know that we have been following four themes leading up to Christmas. The fall under this umbrella called Advent, uh, which deals with anticipation for the arrival of Jesus. Now, these themes have been hope, peace, and joy, and today we are talking about love. Uh, this is a topic I've been excited to explore and dive into, uh, but before we uh, kind of figure out which lens and angle we want to take on, I want, I want to let you know that I'm not going to be covering so much about what love is, but rather how did love come? When did love come? Uh, and specifically, we see this through the giving of Jesus as he came as a baby into the world to live a specific life and purpose that would lead to the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus, which gives us life and hope. And this season, we get to take a special look in a how did love come? How did it show up? And for me specifically, I have been really mesmerized by the story of Mary and her involvement in, in the incarnation of Jesus coming to earth. So I wanted to just take a moment and for us as a church to, to focus in what this nativity story would have felt like for a 14, 15-year-old girl living in a town called Nazareth, which would have been a town of no significance, probably a migrant town outside of a larger fishing town near Galilee. And in this kind of insignificant town with this insignificant character based on kind of the social norms of the day, God shows up and picks this young uh, woman of no standing in her culture and chooses her to be the vehicle in which he's going to bring about his mission to bring redemption to the entire world. You think about the, the horrific time, the humble girl, the hopeless disposition that was surrounding the Christmas story. And I have found particular comfort this year as we continue to find ourselves ending 2020 and realizing that we're entering into 2021 with, with this long lasting sense of trying to know what's going on and grasp at a sense of reality and how do we plan for the future. Uh, there has been this overall feeling of fatigue um, and sometimes that fatigue can lead to exhaustion and hopelessness. And my hope for this message is for us to realize that those same emotions were being experienced by the people when Jesus showed up on the scene. And for us to believe that in the same way that Jesus came, He's coming. Not only in His second coming as He comes to bring reconciliation to the world, the consummation of all things, but He's coming today. As you're watching this, we recognize that His Holy Spirit is present in this room, in the room that you're watching this, or your car, wherever you're at, that God is continuing to come through His presence and through the Holy Spirit, no matter how hopeless the time feels, no matter how humbling we feel in the midst of this, is that we recognize that God 
has come and is coming. And for us to look at the life of Mary as, as a, a way for us to ask good questions and how do we posture ourselves in such a way to not miss what God's doing um, in the midst of, of what can feel like incredible uncertainty in this time. So I want to read a familiar passage to you, but I wanted to focus in on some things that have really just been um, and really ministering to my heart. So this is in Luke's gospel in the first chapter. It says that in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin who was pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Don't be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I'm a virgin? The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age and she who was said to be unable to conceive in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary said. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. Uh, three things that we see in this passage. Number one, God's loving favor is given by grace. Number two, that God's loving assignment is given through His servant Mary. And thirdly, that God's loving mission is given to the entire world. I think it's really interesting that if you, if you read this, there's a word that seems to pop up and it's used twice um, with the angel's proclamation to Mary. And it's this word, favor. This is greetings, highly favored one. And then he says, don't be afraid, Mary, you have found favor with God. And that, that word favor kind of struck me because I'm curious, how would Mary be able to really think that she had any sort of favorable status? Again, in the ancient Eastern patriarchal society, a young unmarried girl would have had no cultural or socioeconomic or religious favor based on the day. But the angel repeats this statement to her, you're favored. And so immediately we're looking for qualifications. But what's fascinating is this word favor is actually the Greek word charis, which just means grace. And so where we would normally translate the idea of favor is kind of something that we've earned, something that's noticeable, the, the proclamation to Mary is, is actually saying, you don't deserve this, but you're given it. You might not look like you have anything to offer, but you do. It's the idea of grace, that this has nothing to do about what you bring to the table, what's God's bringing to the table. And this word, charis, is given to her two times. You have found grace, gift, in the eyes of God in a world that you would have been practically invisible. God sees you 
through his lens of grace and is calling you out as favorable. And he does, and he points out two things. Number one, when he calls her favored for the first time, says, greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. The first thing we can recognize about favor in this situation has little to do about circumstances and has everything to do with God's presence. And if that's true, whoever you are watching this video, you have access to that same favor, that same grace, because it's marked not by, not by what you've done or what you've produced, but rather what God has done in God's presence. And because God's presence was with Mary, she had favor. The second time when it says, don't be afraid, Mary, you have found favor with God. This proclamation of favor helps dispel fear. Notice what the angel is doing with this, this reminder of charis. Mary, you're a woman of charis. God sees you. You've been given grace and favor. He's with you. And because of that, you don't need to be afraid. I mean, that's kind of a, an ironic statement to tell someone you just said, by the way, you're going to have a child within you, even though you've never been married, you've never slept with your future husband, and you now have to go explain to your entire family line, your neighbors and everyone around you, what's going on. I mean, this would have been overwhelming. But in this proclamation it says, listen, God's grace is with you because his presence is with you. You don't have anything to be afraid of. I think the reality is if I were to sit down with anyone watching this, you could give me a thousand reasons why fear has wanted to, to creep up in your life. And I just think that this, this proclamation from an angel to Mary is so applicable to us because the one thing that we can count on is God's presence. The one thing that we can know that no matter what's going to happen in 2021 and no matter what happened in 2020, God's presence is unwavering. And if God's presence is the greatest gift that we have to dispel fear, then it's the thing that we need to hold on to. But we also need to reckon, recognize that God's presence is not contingent on what we produce. It is contingent on God's grace towards us. And Mary's our example of that. And so I think it begins there with this good news that we all have the ability to access God's presence and peace because it's all contingent on God's grace, which, which leads to um, kind of Mary's response. I love this in, in verse 29. We're going to find that God's loving assignment is given through His servant in humility and willingness. Verse 29 says that Mary was greatly troubled at His words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. Uh, this word uh, troubled, diaterasso, is where we get the word uh, disaster. It's where we get this word of uh, distress, this idea of, of absolute complexity, this idea of confusion. And so Mary hears this announcement, sees this angelic being, and she has the very normal human reaction. She is completely perplexed. She's troubled. That everything around her environment that probably felt very normal has completely changed. And it says that in this moment of Diatarasso, it says that at his words, she wondered what kind of greeting this would be. All of this is I've been just in kind of doing some, some study around uh, what this would have meant 
is that the, the confusion, the complexity and the worry, the wonderment that's going on here is really wrapped up in that everything she just heard is a mystery. I mean, can you imagine the list of questions Mary would have had that she would have liked to have asked in that moment? So when am I going to be pregnant? And how is this going to affect my future? Is Joseph still going to marry me? Um, what's the purpose of this son? What is my role? I mean, you can just imagine the thousands of questions that would have been running through Mary's mind in that moment. And, and she's, not giving it, she's not given any answer. She's given a mystery. And in this mysterious proclamation, uh, she's left with this option that we're going to be talking about in this moment where she has this opportunity to either trust and respond or to live and shut that opportunity out, even if it would have happened, whether her heart would have been postured and opened to it. And that mystery, I think, resonates so much in my heart as talking to my friend this week who has gone through a really uh, tough year, both not just externally, but internally. Um, a few years ago, went through a, a tremendous tragedy. And he was sharing with me a, a word from his mentor as he's in the middle of extreme grief and his mentor just came up to him and says, you can trust God in the mystery. You can trust God in the mystery. And when he told me that, I just felt extreme comfort. And it reminded me of, of Mary's story. That when she's troubled, she wonders, right? She, she observes, she contemplates, she thinks about, and ultimately responds with trust. We can trust God in the mystery. I love Pete Scrozero has this quote. He says, I like control. I like to know where God is going, exactly what he's doing, the exact route of how we are getting there and exactly when we will arrive. I also like to remind God of his need to behave in ways that fit in my clear ideas of him. For example, God is just, merciful, good, wise, loving. The problem then is that God is beyond the grasp of of every concept I have of him. He's utterly incomprehensible. Yes, God is everything revealed in scripture, but also infinitely more. God is not an object that I can determine, master, possess, or command. One of the greatest fruits of this is a childlike, deepened love for the mystery of God. And I think Mary's posture, I think we can just so relate with of all you want to do is ask questions and get clarity on the plan. And but all we're left with is, will you trust God in the mystery? Thomas Aquinas says, this is the ultimate knowledge of, of, of God, is that we don't know. The ultimate knowledge of God is that we don't know. And here's someone who wrote 20 volumes in, in the year 1200 of just his brilliant mind. And at the end of it, he just says, listen, the ultimate knowledge of God is that there's so much we don't know. And my, I can't stand here as a pastor and just say, hey guys, don't worry, here's what 2021 looks like, here's the time frame. don't worry about this, here's this solution, here's what you should do. But what I can tell you through the stories that show up again and again in scriptures, you can trust God in the mystery. You can trust his presence. Listen to Mary's response in verse 38. She says, I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. I mean, there's not a ton of true heroes 
in the scripture, meaning so many of them just are filled with flaws and dysfunction. But Mary's statement right here is, is absolutely heroic. It's absolutely something that should be commended. I mean, here she is. She says, I, after all she's given is this mysterious proclamation about her life. She says, I am the Lord's servant. May your words to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. And here's what's so cool. This story is told right after um, Zechariah's story is told, where he's told that he's going to have a son. And his response is questioning, but leads to doubt. Mary's questioning leads to trust. And so here you have this, this person of high ranking of, of holiness, religious status, socioeconomic status, of prestige, this old priest, um, male in Israel, and he misses it. And then here is this woman of no noble status, of no socioeconomic power, of no religious standing, and she gets it. Why? Because when faced with the mystery, she trusts God. And, in, and in, this can happen sometimes easier to those who might be new in their faith, who might possess that childlikeness. And for those of us who've spent years and decades trusting our own plans, trusting our own intellect, trusting our bank account, trusting our families, trusting our education, trusting our government, this year has just been absolutely disarming. But I think it's this call back to Mary's posture as this childlike trust of in the middle of a mystery of, okay, God, I'm going to give everything to you. I'm going to surrender to you. A.W. Tozer says that the essence of surrender is getting out of God's way so that he can do in us what he also wants to do through us. And that's what Mary did. She got out of the way so that God could quite literally do something in her so that he could do something through her. And I think that's the invitation right now is that God's love wants to come in us and he also wants to be moved through us. That this Christmas season, the idea is not to to get a 2021 planner and to figure out every single thing that's gone wrong or gone right. The idea is to stop in the middle of the mystery and to surrender. And say, God, I'm going to surrender to your love. I don't need to know every single answer. But what I do need to know is your presence. And that through that, you're going to lead me where I need to go. Lastly, what we find in this passage is that God's loving mission is given to his world. Uh, One of the lines as we kind of just pass by is that it mentions that this son through Joseph's line is going to come through the line of David which was this nod to the ancient Hebrew prophecies of this Messiah that was going to come. Listen to 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 11 through 15. This is David speaking to David. I mean, this is hundreds of years before the Messiah. He says, The Lord declares to you that the Lord himself will establish a house for you. When your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up for you, here it is, an offspring to succeed you your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name. And I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Listen to this. I will be his father and he will be my son. When he does wrong, I will punish him with the rod wielded by men, with floggings inflicted by human hands. It's describing the cross, the sin that Jesus took on. But verse 15, 
but my love will never be taken away from him. This prophecy is being fulfilled in Jesus, that the son of David, the offspring of David is coming into this place, this promised, anointed, messianic place that he has come to bring about this mission that they have been hoping for for hundreds of years. And so three things that we see in this is that God's loving mission is eternal, it's inclusive, and it's unstoppable. It's eternal because we've seen this at play from the very beginning of Scripture. It's inclusive because John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. Listen, this is what's so amazing, is that although Jesus came through the line of David for the people of Jacob, for the Israelites, this was always meant to be for the world. This is for whoever would put their faith and believe in Jesus and trust Him in the mystery, that He brings salvation. He doesn't come into the world to condemn it, but to save it through the giving of His Son. And the last thing that we see about God's mission coming into the world, and this is something that man, just gives me hope. Verse 37, the angel says this, For no word from God will ever fail. No word from God will ever fail. Do you know how John describes the incarnation of Jesus? He calls Him the Word. A lot of times we can think of a promise, but I want you to think about the promise. Jesus, the Word of God, the Logos coming into the world, the ultimate fulfillment of God's promise to the world to bring it back to Himself comes. And it says that no word from God will ever fail. Dwight L. Moody said that God never made a promise that was too good to be true. God never made a promise that was too good to be true. And listen, we, we have an opportunity this season to remember the promise of God, that Jesus came in the middle of darkness, in the middle of hopelessness, in the middle of uncertainty, and He's doing it now. Church, do not give up on your, on your central identity and hope, and that is that you have been brought back into relationship with God through the gift of Jesus Christ. We have hope. We can trust in the mystery because we have been given His presence. We have access to take the love of God and receive it today. We have the ability to take that love and to share it. Practically speaking, in the next few days leading up to Christmas, think of a way that you can do two things. Number one, how do you posture yourself to receive God's love? The same way that Mary did. <clears throat> How do we let him come and place his love inside of us? And, and even now, just pause, just ask the Lord, what does that look like? Is it through spending time in his creation, listening to worship, reading through some of the rich lyrics of some of these carols? Does it look like looking into the eyes of a child who's experiencing the wonder of light this season? And lastly, take that posture of receiving God's love. And how do we extend that? How can you choose to love someone this season? Maybe someone who feels lonely or isolated. Maybe someone that you've been harboring bitterness towards. How do you extend love in that situation? How do you, beyond just the giving of a gift, which can be a beautiful act, 
how do we let the Spirit lead us into not only receiving the incarnation, but ourselves incarnationally loving those around us? So I want to just leave you with this imagery. Tonight at our in-person gathering, uh, we're going to be having a candlelight service. One of my favorite moments of the candlelight service is after the first rose, let they turn and they bring this light to the candle next to them. And within a matter of moments, this dark night is lit up with hundreds of candles. And that together, these small lights change the atmosphere. And I think that's the invitation this year for Christmas. Listen, we, we have heard so many heartbreaking stories. And at the same time, we have heard so many hope-filled people that no matter what has gone on this year, that the invitation, the reality and the promise that Jesus has come to bring light into the world and love into the world has not changed. Would you, would you choose to receive that gift today? Would you choose to take your light, even if it's small, and extend that towards someone who needs desperately to know the love of Jesus? Let's pray. Jesus, thank you. God, thank you that you are the light that came into the darkness. God, thank you that you are the love that came to the lonely. Thank you that you are the hope that came to the hopeless and that you're still doing it. Lord, we just are honestly confessing that this is what we need. This has felt like a dark year for so many of us. And Lord, we don't want to let our hearts be absorbed by this darkness, but rather receive the gift of your love and light. And Lord, to be able to take that love and light and to be able to share that, Lord Jesus, that we would take the posture of Mary. Lord, that I am your servant. Lord, I am your servant, Lord Jesus. And God, I pray that as your servant, may your word to me be fulfilled. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us here at the Light San Diego podcast. This sermon was recorded in Encinitas, California. For more information, please visit our website, lightsandiego.com.